Good morning, everyone. Hi. Um, I, I want to uh, say that th today's shear is not going to be the most sophisticated uh, lecture that you've ever heard because I want to keep things really simple. And I know that there's people out there who, for whatever reason, have not necessarily run a Seder on their own before. Or they have run a Seder, but this year is going to be quite different than usual. And therefore, I, what I want to do is go through the Seder, uh, literally stage by stage, so that we can provide you with the tools that are required. If you listen back to this year, if you want to take notes now, to enable you to run the Seder smoothly, meaningfully, so that your Seder will be as beautiful as possible. So I'm going to begin by saying that um, many years ago, when I was a rabbi in London, I invited uh, a couple of people to my shul to talk about running a Seder in a meaningful way. And one of them is called Noam Tzion. Uh, and I saw that on Times of Israel, they, um, they, they had published a Haggadah, I'm going back 20 years, which really enables people to use every part of the Seder in a meaningful way, that there's no aspect of the Seder which isn't meaningful. Uh, and over the years, I have shared that Haggadah with people. As you know, if you've been part of my community, I've published, for example, uh, pamphlets with... Uh, images of the four sons, uh, many different images of the four sons, which they reproduced in the Haggadah. I found others, but the idea that the way that four sons uh, are depicted in the Haggadah is an indicator of different eras in Jewish history and Jewish culture, etc. Uh, and that was their idea. So they, they turned the four sons not just into the basic question and answer format that we see in the actual text, but they also uh, created a cultural backdrop to it, a historical backdrop to it, so that we can get some sense of different seders that existed throughout, uh, throughout the ages. And perhaps I will share uh, one or two of those. I, I think over the past several years I've published, uh, um, in every year we send it out to the shul, and we put it out at the shul seder, uh, and I will say, if I remember, I, uh, Carly I'm sure will remind me, I will send them out to the community over the next couple of days. But I saw in the Times of Israel that Noam Tzion has actually come up with a coronavirus Seder planner, which I think is extremely useful to look through. I've, I've read through it. I'm extremely impressed. I was always impressed by his work. I'm extremely impressed. His original Haggadah was called A Different Night. And those of you who have been to my previous year's Haggadah explanatory uh, shiurim will know that I've used that Haggadah extensively, but he's now come up with this coronavirus Seder planner. The problem with logging onto Times of Israel is that it sucks up a lot of energy from your internet, and therefore what I asked Carly to do was to take all the text from the article in the Times of Israel, stick it onto a Word document and create a PDF, and what we're going to do right now is we're going to give you the link to our Shul, Shul Cloud site. Uh, 
which will enable you to access this as a PDF so that you can go through this document, which is extremely helpful uh, to help you plan your Seder in this particular year where we're also isolated from each other. We've got much smaller Seders or different Seders than we were expecting to have and to go through it. So Carly, are we, are we ready for that? In a minute. Okay, that's good. No, that, that's a good answer. I like that answer. Thank you so much. So um, if you click on that link, and we're also going to send it out to our WhatsApp community group. If you're not yet part of that group, if you could please send your um, cell number to Carly, and she'll add you to the group, uh, uh, the Yimba community group. We're com constantly providing updates, both on the situation in general, and in terms of Pesach and Jewish community needs. So we will send you that link uh, uh, over the next day or two, and we'll be able to help you in that way. Um, all right, so I just want to show you, this is, this is what the document looks like. A coronavirus Seder planner, uh, an extremely helpful uh, document, uh, information in there which will help you create a meaningful Seder. Let's begin, as we always do, at the beginning. Haggadah Shal Pesach is one of the most organized, scripted events in the Jewish calendar. So the Seder that we have on Pesach night is not a random thing and that you walk into it not knowing what to do. You know exactly what to do in every given moment of the Seder. And at the beginning of the Seder, we actually go through the different acts of the Seder, which there's 15 acts in the play. It begins with Kadesh, and it ends with Niritza. And each act, some of them are shorter, some of them are longer. Each act is significant in your planning of the Seder. And I, I just want to go through it because I feel that, you know, even if you've done it many times before, it is useful and helpful to understand exactly what is expected of you at each given moment of the Seder, if you're a Seder leader. And if any of you have attended one of my communal Seders, will know that I always designate Seder leaders at each table. I don't expect to lead the Seder on my own. You know, there's 150, 200 people at, at a Seder. I want each table of 10 or 15 people to lead their group, and each of them is going to run the Seder, perhaps at my direction as a communal Seder, but run the Seder for their particular group on the night of the Seder. This year, the communal Seder is in different locations. Every one of us is going to be in our own home, where we are confined with stay-at-home orders. However, the Seder leader concept hasn't left, hasn't departed, and therefore I'm speaking today at the Shir to all of you who are going to be Seder leaders. I'm not talking about the cooks and the chefs. I'm no, I have no doubt that the food that will be prepared and served at the Seder will be Shulchan Aruch, I don't need to tell you anything about. It's going to be a beautiful meal. That's not what I mean. What I mean is to have a proper, meaningful, 
Seder, where we truly experience that which those who planned the Seder a couple of millennia ago um, had intended for us throughout Jewish history until the arrival of Mashiach. That's really what the Seder is about. So I, I have to tell you, I use a very basic Haggadah. This is the Haggadah I use. It's a Haggadah which I bought many, many years ago when we, when we were, uh, when I was the rabbi in London, when we ran communal Sadorim in London. And over the years, I've used the same Haggadah. There's two or three different versions, similar versions of this Haggadah. And you don't need to use a complicated Haggadah at Seder night. In fact, my recommendation to you is, if you have a complicated Haggadah, look at it before the Seder. So, you know, unless it's one which has a lot of images and pictures, it, anything with, which has explanations is going to act as a distraction. This, the Haggadah that you, sh you should use at Seder night should be very, very simple. Text and translation. And anything that you do to prepare in advance of the Seder, you should do before Pesach, before Seder night. At the Seder itself, use a simple Haggadah. That is the best thing to do. If at all possible, everybody should use the same Haggadah, because then you can tell people which page we're on and what it is that we're reading. Otherwise, there's confusion between different people at the Seder as to what it is that you're referring to. And rather than have any confusion, keep things simple. If that's at all possible, make sure to use the same Haggadah. As many of you as possible at the Seder use the same Haggadah. So the first thing at the Seder is um, to go through the list. Some people read through it. We ask children, the children to sing it. Kadesh Urchatz, Karpas Yachatz, etc. To go through all the different aspects of the Seder before we begin. So that we know exactly what is going on. But I'm, I'm not going to go through that because I'm going to actually go through it piece by piece um, and hopefully we're going to get through uh, as much of it as possible today. Uh, I know that uh, time is, is running. A Seder generally takes longer than the hour allotted time that I have today, but I'll get through as much of it as possible and I do want to take your questions, so I, I don't know how many people are on um, I see there's 18 people who are participating in this year. Um, so I want to um, do as much as I can, as quickly as possible, and then take your questions. We begin the Seder with Kiddush. Kiddush is important for two reasons. The first reason it's important is because it uh, establishes the sanctity and the sacredness of the day. What do I mean by that? That the same way as we begin Shabbos and every Yom Tov with Kiddush, we have to begin Seder night and Pesach with Kiddush. But there is an extra significance to Kaddish on Pesach night. Whereas, generally speaking, Kiddush in and of itself is the beginning and the end of the sanctification of that night, of creating a sacred event. When it comes to Seder night, Actually, Kiddush is only the beginning in terms of it being the um, first cup of wine that we're going to drink. We're going to drink four cups of wine. The four cups of wine correspond to the four uh, language, uh, the four uh, messages of Geula, of redemption that are mentioned 
at the beginning of the Exodus story in Exodus, in Shemot, and Kiddush launches the four cups of wine. So we're going to begin with Kiddush, and uh, so on Wednesday night we're all going to sit down or stand up. I come from an Ashkenaz background where we sit down for the whole of the Seder, we don't stand up for any aspect of the Seder. Derech Cherus, in the way of uh, freedom, but there are some people who stand up for Kiddush and you should follow your own custom. But you begin with Kiddush and then you sit down at the end of Kiddush. If you've, if you've been standing up or if you were sitting down, you lean back to the left and you're going to drink the first cup of wine. This is part of the Seder experience. We're going to be drinking four cups, full cups of wine at the Seder. Let's talk a little bit about wine. There are two opinions as to what kind of wine you should drink at the Seder, red wine or white wine. And I, I, you know, I don't know the cultural backdrop to this particular debate, but I imagine the places that said that you should drink white wine, that white wine was superior to red wine, and the places where they said you should drink red wine, that red wine was superior to white wine. The idea being that you should drink the finest possible wine at the Seder. If you want to drink, uh, you know, Piper Heitzig champagne at the Seder, that is entirely appropriate because you should drink the finest possible wine at the Seder. Four cups of wine, which are a demonstration of the redemption of the Exodus from Egypt. Now, there are some people who don't, can't tolerate alcohol. That's not a problem at all. Then drink grape juice. We have enough um, rabbinic opinion that says that grape juice, anything that comes from a grape, over which you can say Berapri Hagofen is, uh, is appropriate to drink at the Seder. However, if at all possible, and unless you've got some very good reason not to do so, what you should do is add at least a drop or few drops of wine to the cup of grape juice that you're going to drink, the four cups of grape juice that you're going to drink, what we call a mixture. And that is appropriate because there should be some element of wine which is the finest ultimate product of the grape, evident in the wine that you drink at the Seder. I'm not sure how relevant it is to any of you or all of you, but uh, the four cups of wine that you drink at the Seder are uh, extremely important as a demonstration of your dedicated belief in the exodus from Egypt, because they show that you understand that wine is a symbol of freedom. People who drink wine with their meal that meal is a serious meal. It's a banquet. It's a feast. It's not just a random event. And therefore, if, you're taught, if at all possible, even if you are a regular drinker of only grape juice, perhaps you can't tolerate alcohol, or you don't want to drink alcohol, add a few drops of wine to your grape juice just to turn it into something which is more significant than a fruit juice, which is what most grape juice is. That's Kadesh. The next stage of the Seder is really only for the Seder leader, and that is Urchatz. Urchatz is when you wash your hands before you take the food uh, that you're going to take, the vegetable you're going to take and dip it into salt water, which we're going to get to in Karpas. Fascinating, isn't it, that in ancient times they had a sense that the person who served the meal had to wash their hands. We're now living in a time, you know, I'm, I'm watching videos online uh, which tell us exactly how we need to wash our hands. 
I saw something last week one of the community members sent me with, uh, with Jimmy Kimmel and he brought over a doctor from the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota to show his viewers exactly what to do when you wash your hands. You don't make a bracha at Urchatz because the washing of the hands here is only so that your hands should be completely clean before you take the vegetable and dip it into the salt water. And what, what is that all about? So those who were, I'm going to use this expression, Masader the Seder, who arranged this arranged meal, understood that it is only uh, very distinguished people who participate and partake of such a, the kind of banquet that we have at the Seder, which is going to involve this type of crudité, this kind of hors d'oeuvre that we call karpas, and the person who's going to serve it, it wouldn't be appropriate for them to have dirty hands, and therefore they have to wash their hands. It's not a, re a religious obligation. It's not a religious requirement. This has nothing to do with religion. This is everything to do with being a demonstration of cheirut, of freedom, and of redemption. Whoever the person is who's going to dip the karpas into the salt water has to make sure to wash their hands, as you would wash your hands for hamotzi, but without making the bracha of al-natilas yodoyim. Okay, so that is karpas, full washing of the hands. It's orchats. Then you get to karpas. What is karpas? So it depends where you come from in the world as to what you use for karpas, but I want to make very clear, and I think I've said it in a previous year, in a previous talk um, about the Seder, that you take a vegetable and you dip it into salt water. Why do we do that? Because in the historical moment when the Seder was finalized, was arranged in the method and in the, uh, in the sequence that we are familiar with, uh, they were in Roman times. And in those days, any significant meal which was of an elevated um, level, they would begin it with crudite, which was cut up vegetables that would be dipped into some kind of dip. Therefore, the rabbis who established the Seder said that we cannot begin a Seder which celebrates the redemption, the liberation of Jews from Egypt without having karpas. It's so important that we show that the meal tonight is not just an ordinary meal, some fast food that we got in from takeout. It is a meal that is significant in every aspect. If we would go to a fancy restaurant or to a fancy banquet in a fancy hotel, we would expect nothing less than coming at first and, you know, in, in the cocktail hour, somebody come around with a tray and they're going to have vegetables on it with a dip. That's, to this day, that is that something that signifies a fancy banquet. That is what we're going to have in each and every one of our homes. We're going to have that exact same thing replicated. So we take a vegetable and we dip it into a dip. In this situation, it's salt water. And salt water is an interesting theme. There's two uh, occasions during the Seder when we have salt water. Salt water signifies the tears of the Jewish nation as they cried out to God, asking him, begging him, to liberate them from slavery in Egypt. And later on at the meal, we're going to begin the meal with an egg, a boiled egg, an entire boiled egg, which is dipped into salt water, again signifying the tears of the Jews 
in Egypt. Remember that in my previous year I spoke about the different themes of the Seder. We have two themes represented, one of them which is that we were slaves and we were liberated and we have to represent both of those things in the actions that we take during the course of the Seder night. So the dip that we use at Karpas, the salt water, is um, representative of the tears of the Jewish nation as they beg God to liberate them from slavery in Egypt. What vegetable should we use? So everybody has a different custom. Uh, where I come from, in the German uh, yeki custom, we used radish, we used parsley. If you come from Eastern or Central Europe, then you would use um, you would use potatoes, boiled potatoes. If you come from North Africa, you use carrots. Some people use celery, and I'm sure that there's a range of others which I haven't mentioned. It's not important. The point is, it has to be a vegetable, and it has to be dipped in salt water. Those are, that's the only thing that's important. So this year, if what you, you are used to is not available, use one of the other customs. Become ecumenical in your Seder custom this year. Use whatever is available, and that is sufficient, that is appropriate. So, karpas is dipping a vegetable into salt water, as a representation of the wonderful um, event that you are launching on Pesach night to commemorate the liberation, the redemption, the salvation of the Jewish nation from Egypt. The next stage after Karpas is Yachatz. Yachatz is we take, there's three matzahs which are in front of you. So I didn't mention that at the beginning, we didn't talk about the Seder plate. Again, if you look at your Haggadah, you will see that um, the Seder plate is set out in a very specific way. You have uh, you have the Charoses, the Moror, you have the salt water, the Matzah, the roasted egg, the parsley and the roasted shank bone. So um, somebody asked me this week, what if it's not possible for me to get a bone, the normal shank bone that I use, and roast that on a fire to put on my Seder plate? And the answer to that is, it's only a symbolic bone. We don't actually have Korban Pesach, which is what the bone represents. And you put a burnt bone on the Seder plate as some type of representation of the sacrifice that was brought on Erev Pesach that we're going to eat or should eat on Pesach night. If you don't have a shank bone, any bone will do. Take the bone from a chicken. Take any bone that you have and burn it on a fire and put it on your Seder plate and it is completely and utterly okay. Uh, similarly, we have a burnt egg. I don't know if you know that there's a great shortage of eggs in Eretz Yisrael this year. I don't know why. I'm not familiar with the background to this situation. I heard that this morning, um, a few hours ago, there was a delivery, um, a shipment of eggs was delivered, was to Haifa uh, um, docks and that they're going to try and get as many eggs as possible all over Israel. I don't know how successful they will be and I don't know how they're going to ration the eggs throughout Israel. But we take an egg 
and it's a representation of the Korban Chagiga, which was the festival sacrifice that was brought on every festival, not just Pesach, but on Pesach we have it represented on the Seder plate because we have laid out in front of us all the different props which remind us of the festivity of the moment. Similarly, we have the Moror, the Moror that we're going to eat. We don't have to have it on a Seder plate, you would think, because we can just take it out of the refrigerator when we need it. But actually, you have it on the Seder plate. It's all part of showing, demonstrating, illustrating how special this moment is. Moror, Charoses, you're also going to have the Karpas, whatever vegetable it is that you're going to be eating, at Karpas, you have that on the Seder plate, and you're going to also have the um, Chazeres, which is the actual leaf that we use for Moror. So that's also going to be on the Seder plate, and finally you're going to have three Matzas. You put three Matzas in front of you. So there's different Seder plates that people have, and you may not have a Seder plate at all, it's not important. You don't need to have one, and if you don't have one, your Seder is completely fine. What you need to do is put three matzahs, shmura matzah, whatever matzah you have, one on top of the other. The bottom one is called the Yisrael, the middle one is called the Levi, and the top one is called the Kohen. That is the division of the matzahs. And then you put the other aspects of the Seder plate either on another plate, or if you have a large ka'ara, you're going to put the matzahs in the different slots that you have in that kara and then you're going to put the different aspects of the seder plate on top in the in the plate which is on top but when you get to yachatz what you do is you take the levi matzah the middle matzah and you split it now you can't split a matzah into half you split it into two parts whatever is the larger part is going to be left aside for the afikoman what is the afikoman we'll get to that later but the afikoman is what you're going to be eating right at the end of your meal. And many people put that aside, they wrap it up in, in a napkin and they put it aside. It's a lot of fun, the kids can steal it and you're going to need it to the end of the meal because it's the final thing that you eat at the end of your meal and you're going to need it and therefore the kids are going to use that as leverage to get a very nice gift from you. Be very generous. Be very nice, whoever it is who steals it. I know that may not have kids at your Seder. So what? An adult will want a gift. As long as they don't ask for a Ferrari, give them whatever they want. Okay, so you split the matzah into half and you put the larger part into a napkin, hide it away for afikoman, and the smaller part you insert, the levy, you insert it back into the middle between the Kohen and the Yisrael of the three matzahs. Okay. So now you've done yachatz. Now we begin what's called magid. It's the longest and most important part of Seder night. It's magid is the portion, the narrative portion of the Haggadah. What do we do in magid? We go through different aspects. It's a variety of midrashim and songs, and we begin halal at the end that. Uh, incorporate all the aspects of what we should be discussing and thinking about at Seder night. I'm not going to go through it in exhaustive detail and if anybody has any questions for me about any aspect of the Haggadah we can either deal with it in Q&A or I'm very happy to deal with it privately 
I know that there are many, many Haggadot. You should know that the most published book of the Jewish world is not the Bible, it's the Haggadah. And there are literally thousands of Haggadahs available to buy and to use on Seder night for Pesach every single year. Hundreds more get published. Different versions of the Haggadah that get used at Seders across the world. It is the most published book of the Jewish world. We begin the Haggadah with this idea of going from slavery into redemption and using the main prop that demonstrates that transition from slavery to redemption, the matzah. And we we have the seder plate with the matzah, or we just have the three matzahs, we lift it up and we say, Ha lachma anya. This is the bread of affliction. This is the bread of poverty. This is the bread of penury. This is the a demonstration food for us to remind us of what we suffered and how we were redeemed. Because both um, are represented by this particular form of food. The matzah both shows us what it is that we needed to eat, this incomplete food that we call matzah, the bread that hasn't risen, that's been baked, but it's, um, it's crunchy, it's not soft. And on the night of Pesach, when we were redeemed, we had to bake bread. Again, we didn't have time because we were in such a hurry to leave Egypt. We didn't have time for the bread to rise. So it's a demonstration of our freedom. And now we say something which is very important. Whenever you are in a difficult situation and you get out of it, you tend to be selfish. You tend to be self-indulgent introspective, um, self-obsessed. You know, I, I had such a difficult time, it's all about me. The whole point of Pesach is that we share the goodwill. We were in a difficult time, we came free, and now, kol ditrich yeseviyechel, kol ditrich yeseviyevsach. We want as many people as possible to be involved in the miracle of redemption. We don't want to confine it to our own little world, to our own little bubble. We want to make sure that we across the Jewish world are celebrating, commemorating the same thing and everybody should be included. This year, we're all going to be included separately. It could be that every year you have Seder with many people from your family, friends or you're in a, in a Pesach program with hundreds of people this year, it's going to be a much smaller group of people wherever you are. It makes no difference. The idea being we are all included in this incredible miracle that we call Pesach. And now we have the second aspect of the Seder, which is Manishtana, that Seder night is an interactive educational experience. Um, that we have a question and answer format which is extremely important. That it shouldn't just be one person, the Seder leader, who's the sage on the stage, but every person should be involved. When I was growing up in my parents' home, 
my father would always say to us, listen, I'm going to talk a little bit and then I'm going to be quiet. I would like you to say something. And we would come to the Seder with prepared pieces and we would speak and then we would interact with each other about different aspects of the Seder. It was a discussion as opposed to just somebody from the front uh, taking the lead. And not everybody has great expertise at the Seder. So one of the ways you can do this is that, for example, Manishtana. You may not have a child this year to say Manishtana, but perhaps something you can do is that each person should say one of the questions of Manishtana loud for the others to hear. By the way, the Haggadah is not like Davni. It's not like Shemana Esrei, where each person there has to say every single word. If you didn't say one word, but one person at the Seder said it and you heard it, that's absolutely fine. And in fact, I think it's much nicer if people take turns saying certain aspects of the Haggadah, and that it's not just one person saying it uh, who's leading it, or that everybody is saying it together, but different individuals within the Seder group should say different aspects of the Haggadah, others should follow quietly, um, and if that person wants to say it in both Hebrew and English, that's totally fine. In fact, if you just want to say it in English, that's also completely fine. The Haggadah is not davening, it's not Kriya Shema, it's not Shemona Esrei. It is there to prompt us to make sure that we are engaged with the story of the Exodus on the night that commemorates its occurrence. It's the anniversary of the Exodus. It's not a ritual where if you didn't say each and every word and syllable of the Haggadah that somehow you didn't discharge your duty. You, in fact, if that's the way you look at it, you certainly have not discharged your duty. What you need to do is to make sure that you have covered the, all the ground that is covered by the Haggadah on Seder night and that every single person around the table has been engaged with what it means to be commemorating this anniversary. One of the things that we do, and uh, Sabine has kindly reminded me of that, is that uh, we put out candy on the table, which is not the kind of thing that you normally do at the beginning of a meal, but we put out candy and chocolate on the table straight after Kiddush at the same time as Karpas, and everybody is welcome to have candy. And the kids will ask, why we got candy here tonight? And you're going to say, because tonight is different than every other night. In the same ways we have Karpas to commemorate the freedom and the redemption of that anniversary, we're going to have candy on the table. So the kids are going to say, oh gosh, this is a different night than every other night. And we're going to enjoy it as much as the adults are enjoying it. So find some candy and uh, make sure that you have it on your table if you have uh, uh, young children, grandchildren at your table. If you're lucky enough this year to have that, make sure. By the way, adults also like candy. It's fine. Don't worry. You know, watch your sugar levels, of course, particularly if you're drinking alcohol. But there's nothing wrong whatsoever to have some, uh, some fun around the Seder table and not just stick completely to the rituals of the Haggadah and feel bad if you do something slightly different which achieves the same result. So have some candy on the table and let the kids enjoy themselves right at the beginning of the Seder. Okay, so you, get, you got through the Manishtana. And then we have Avodim Hoyinu. So Avodim Hoyinu is the answer to all the questions. 
both in terms of the halach ma'anya, understanding why it is we have this bread of affliction, and in terms of the, all the different questions we ask in the Manishtan as to why this night is different from all other nights, we answer, We were slaves in Egypt. Do you know what the origins of our nation is? What, where do we come from? Who are we? So most national and religious narratives begin with um, a great moment. We don't know much about what happened before, but there was a great triumph right at the beginning. Our origins are not triumphant. We were nebuchs. We were people who were mistreated. And somehow, despite the fact that there was absolutely no chance for us to succeed in any way, shape or form, God took us out based on a covenant he made with our ancestors. We were at the lowest ebb. We had no chance of survival, not as a national entity and certainly not as a religious entity. And nevertheless, Hashem Misham, God took us out of Egypt. That is who we are. We are a people of God. We became the chosen nation of God. We became his representatives, his ambassadors. We are here to carry his message. And had it not been for him, as we say later on in the Seder, we would not even have existed. He came himself, to redeem us and rescue us from certain oblivion. And now we have the story of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Lozab and Azariah, Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfoin. These were five friends from the time of the Mishnah. And these were some of the greatest rabbis of the era. The only one who's not mentioned here is Rabban Gamliel. We're going to mention him later on in the, in the Seder. Rabban Gamliel was the head of the Sanhedrin. But these were the greatest rabbis of the time. And they were sitting in Bnei Barak and they were having Seder night. Now you would think that these people, why should they waste their time with such nonsense and frivolity and um, superfluous discussion about something that they know so well that they really don't need to discuss it? It's like, you know, you know, if you ever met people who know everything about a particular subject and you listen to a discussion between them, they're talking in code because you can't understand one word that they're saying. And they just, you know, they mention, oh, did you read that book? Of course. Did you see what was on page 51? Yes, I saw, but what was on page 54 was incredible. You've got no idea what they're talking about. And in five minutes, they've had a discussion that if you would ask them for every detail, would take them two and a half hours. The point is that we want to convey the message that even the greatest people, when it comes to redemption and when it comes to a moment of salvation, it doesn't matter who you are, the commemoration of that event is as momentous for every single individual who is involved, whatever level and strata of society they come from. So, even the great Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Hoshua and Rabbi Lozab and Azariah and all of these people, they're sitting in Bnei Barak and you think that their Seder should take them 20 minutes because they know everything and they can speak in code and in references and then they can get back to studying Torah or go to bed and get up early the next morning and study Torah, which is really their main function, their primary function. And for all us idiots who have to really go through this story because we don't do it and we do, we're not familiar with it as much as they were, we should spend a lot of time talking about Seder night, about this anniversary. The Haggadah wants to convey to you 
that it doesn't matter who you are and how much you know and how knowledgeable you are in terms of the story of the Exodus, each and every person on Seder night shouldn't be ambivalent and dismissive about commemorating this occasion and think, well, I did it last year, not once, I did it twice, I had two seders last year. In fact, I've had so many seders in my life, I can skip this year, what do I need to bother for? Absolutely not. If Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Tarfain could do it, then you should certainly spend the time. It makes no difference how great you are, uh, that every single person should spend as much time as possible going over this fantastic event, which was a formative moment in your personal identity and family history. So now we go now to the four sons and I'm not going to delve too deeply into this but to say to you as follows that everyone knows that different children and adults have different personalities, different needs, um, different things that stimulate them and the Haggadah is conscious of that. The Haggadah, whoever it is who put the Haggadah together, was conscious of the fact that whoever you are, you need to be stimulated in a particular way. And of course, the Haggadah uses extremes. Chacham, Rasha, Tamash, These are all extremes. If you know anything about um, being a lawyer or being a doctor, you know that we always deal with extreme scenarios in order to demonstrate the average. None of us is really a Chocham, or a Rasha, or a Tom, or a She'enu Yadialisha. We all fall somewhere in between these extremes. And the Haggadah wants to tell you that whoever you are, and whatever your background, whatever your interests, whatever it is that stimulates you in particular, on Seder night, we all, to a certain uh, degree have to become engaged, have to be willing to be engaged with the story of the Exodus from Egypt. It is the defining moment of our Jewish identity, of the origins of who we are as Jews. And on that basis, we cannot simply dismiss it as ancient history. It is relevant to us. And each aspect of it, however that aspect is relevant to us, should be the the stuff that stimulates us on Seder night. So if there's one part of the Haggadah that really stimulates us, for example, some people love singing. Make sure that Seder night is a night of great song. Sing. Enjoy it. Join in with others who are singing. If you're a great intellect, or more intellectually um, you know, in inclined, then make sure on Seder night that you use the opportunity of this anniversary to engage intellectually with the story. If you're a person who enjoys a good meal and, you know, okay, every Shabbos you have a very nice Friday night dinner, make sure that the meal you have on Seder night is considerably better than any meal that you would normally have during the year. And the reason for that is because Seder night should be special. It doesn't mean you're a Chocham or a Rasha or a Tom or She'ene or De'alisha. What it means is that you recognize the importance and the uniqueness of Seder night. And if you didn't get it right the first night, 
you know, that's what, how lucky we are in Chutzla Aretz. We can do it the second night, right? If you didn't manage the first night, make sure you do it the second night. By the way, all of the above apply. You can like song and intellectual stimulation and a good meal and a nice wine and a good family conversation. All of the above apply. Make sure that the Seder night is a unique experience and at every stage of the way you should be conscious of the fact that the only reason you're having this unique experience is because it's Seder night and because we're commemorating the liberation, the exodus of the Jews from Egypt when we were created and formed into a Jewish nation. That's what we're doing there. So when you have that special food which you never normally have and nobody ever has on Seder night, or when you sing that special song which evokes so many wonderful memories of Seders in the past which you had with different members of your family, maybe some of which, some of whom have passed away, it should all be about commemorating this incredible moment, the exodus from Egypt. That's what it's about. Now, we begin the story. I'm not going to go through all the Medrashim. I'm going to turn now to the song Vahisha Amda, a very important song. We sing the song Vahisha Amda, whatever tune you use. Vahisha Amda lavaisenu velanu, God has stood by us and our ancestors. There's not just been one occasion in Jewish history when there have been those who wanted to destroy us. It may have started with Pharaoh. It may have started in ancient history more than 3,000 years ago. But at every stage of our history there have been people who have been willing and interested in destroying us. And we've almost succumbed. We've almost been destroyed on more than one occasion. And yet... Here we are, around a Seder table. doesn't matter what country in the world you're in, whether you're in Los Angeles, whether you're in London, whether you are in Jerusalem, whether you're in Johannesburg, or whether you're in Sydney. Wherever you may be, you are a, a representative of a nation that has endured every possible weapon and every possible attempt to destroy it. That is an incredible achievement. That in and of itself is something to celebrate on Seder night. So now, when we celebrate, we, we cover up the matzah and we lift up the wine. Why do we do that? For the same reason as we do it on Shabbos. That whenever we use wine as a method of celebration, we don't want to embarrass the, the bread in this case the matzah, which is made from wheat. Because in the Sheva Minim, the wheat comes before the grape. So we cover up the wheat because we don't want to say, well, you've been usurped, you've been outdone by the grape, because the grape really should come after the bread. You see how sensitive we are even to inanimate objects. Even though the matzah or the challah on a Shabbos is an inanimate object. It has no consciousness. It has no sense of itself. We are sensitive to the fact that we don't want to embarrass it or make it feel belittled in any way. And therefore, when we use the wine at the Seder, we always make sure to cover up the matzah. And at every other stage of the Seder, the matzah is uncovered uh, because we're not dealing with the wine. And 
uh, in that sense, the matzah is more important as a representation of the Exodus story. So now I'm going to skip ahead. I'm not going to go through every aspect of the Haggadah. I'm sure that that is something that you can do. Uh, you, uh, all of you have Haggadahs. If you don't, there are so many wonderful resources online which you can access. Uh, and I, I know that we've sent out some. If you need more, please be in contact with us and we can help you with that as well. I want to skip ahead to uh, talking about the Ten Plagues. So we have various um, representations of the Ten Plagues. Um, first in Dom Va'esh Vesimrois Oshon. Then we have the list of the Ten Plagues, Dom Tzfardea Kinim, etc. And then we have uh, a, a smaller version, which is the Tzach Adash V'achav, which is what Rabbi Huda used to say. I think it is important to understand, um, and not going into the details of it, that the Egyptians who made us suffer, suffered. Not, as a, not in the sense of revenge. You know that Simon Wiesenthal wrote a book, Justice, Not Revenge. None, no part of the Seder is meant to be seen as vengeful. We're not vengeful against the Egyptians, but no action has, um, uh, it will not result in a reaction. And that's why the Egyptians, who made us suffer to a greater extent than was ever uh, predicted in the covenant between Abraham and God, and subsequently Isaac and Jacob, and Moshe Rabbeinu also heard about it, uh, the Egyptians went way over the top in terms of the way they treated us, even though it was destined for us, predestined for us, to be in that situation. That being the case, they were punished, and there is always punishment on the cards for those who behave in a way that is inappropriate to God, both in this world and in the world to come. However, as we know, it says in the Pasuk, bin foil a yivcha, Al-Tismach, do not rejoice in the downfall of your enemies. And therefore, at every stage where we mention a plague, where human beings, God's creations, suffered, we take a finger and we dip it into the wine and we remove some of our joy because wine is a representation of joy. Dom, Tzfardea, Kinim, we want to demonstrate that all human beings, even our vilest enemies, those who have sought to destroy us, are created in the image of God. And their failure is a failure of humanity of which we are a part, and therefore we do not rejoice in their downfall. Never rejoice in the downfall of your enemies. We need the downfall of our enemies in order to succeed and in order to flourish. Nevertheless, the downfall of our enemies is not something to celebrate. Um, I'm going to end here and maybe if we have the chance um, and if there is a demand for it, please let me know on the community chat. I will continue in this vein and talk more about the Seder on Tuesday. Perhaps we can make a time. Uh, I will ask Carly to to uh, see from all of you and from the community whether or not we want to continue with this uh, Seder 101 share. 
so that you can be helped in as much as that you can know exactly what it is to do if you're leading a Seder this year for the first time or if it's your 50th time, it doesn't make a difference. We could all do with a refresher. And now I'm going to open up for questions. We only have a few minutes left. If anyone has any particular questions about running a Seder, please feel free to um, ask any questions now for the next 10 minutes and I will do my best to answer them. Go ahead. I think everyone's on mute, Carly. Does anyone want to see? If you want to, if you want to ask a question, if you want to ask a question, perhaps just wave. No questions. So I have to unmute my computer. I see. Okay. I got it. Okay, go ahead. Ask. Hi, is, who's that? I can't see who it is. Uh, Hi. Um, so it's just gonna, it's probably going to be uh, just me and my wife uh, and our eight-month-old. Um, definitely first time putting together Seder on our own. Wonderful. Um, so the the uh, big question would be, um, in addition to just you know the logistics, do you have any suggestions for how uh, we can kind of engage ourselves? Uh, to make it more than just, you know, getting too caught up in the technicalities and just reading through it by rote and actually making it um, uh, uniquely meaningful when it's just two people. Yes, I have various suggestions. So um, the first thing is you don't have to stick closely to the text of the Haggadah if that is not going to be meaningful. Don't do it. What you need to do is find ways of engaging with each other meaningfully on the topic that is being discussed, which is the exodus from Egypt. I remember that uh, um, in years gone by, we haven't done it in the last two or three years, we, used to, we had a whole range, I, I, if I can find it, uh, Samuel, I will send it to you. We had a whole range of songs that we used to sing to different tunes. Um, generally speaking, they were popular tunes and they were in English and we used to sing them together and it was a lot of fun and if I can find it I will certainly uh, send it to you. It was a whole booklet of songs that we used to sing. Uh, the other thing is we used to use props for the Seder and we still have them, puppets and uh, different Seder, I'm sorry, um, plague props of the, of the Eser Makos. So each one of the Makos had different puppet or different props so when you come to blood we, we have this little cup of of red of red liquid and when it comes to the um, frogs we had uh, um, you know frogs that we used to throw across the table and kinim little flies or whatever it was like plastic flies that we would throw across the table etc etc just ways of engaging in a meaningful way with different aspects of the seder you know I, it depends really on on your personality and your wife's personality as to what's going to engage you some people are engaged by that kind of thing like fun stuff other people are engaged by intellectual discussion sabine says she has the booklets of the songs okay so sabine t says carly's telling me that sabine has the booklets of the songs so we'll try and have them scanned um, I'll scan. Please send it to me. Oh, sure. Yeah, send okay, it to so me. we will we will have that scanned and uh, um, available for the community group, uh, and we'll send it out on the WhatsApp, and we will all also have it available on the website, Carly. Correct. Excellent. Thank you. By the way, a great thank you to Carly, who's really been incredible in helping us put together all these materials and making sure these shiurim happen. I know I do a lot of the talking, but none of this talking. 
all this interaction would be possible without Carly. So really a big, uh, you know, three cheers for Carly. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Hey, I, have a, I have a question for you. Sure. Evan. Hi, Evan. How are you? Great. How are you, How are you doing? Shavua to you. So our, our daughter Julia said, well, are we going to change the plagues this year to Dom Tsefardea Corona? <laughs> And I just <laughs> seems like a, like a uh, a worthy uh, thing to throw at that. I would, I would look at this Corona Seder uh, uh, script, but any thoughts about you know this, is this a modern plague? Is this uh, is what we're it's certainly a modern plague, and and we're, and we're almost not able to talk about anything else. It so dominates our yep. thoughts and our consciousness at the moment. Um, I think that we live in a very unique moment in history, not Jewish history, in history, that we can recognize the power of a plague like no generation ever before. Imagine living in Egypt, which was the center of civilization, and they were, or felt at least, that they were in control of everything. And suddenly their entire lives were upended for months and months on end. They went through ten plagues. It's not important to make the comparison for it to be exact. But imagine you are the king of Egypt and this fellow is coming to you from the CDC called Moshe Rabbeinu and he's warning you of things that are going to go wrong and you're saying, no, no, everything's going to be fine, we're in complete control, everything is perfect and things go wrong. No, no, we're still in control, the economy's fine, everything's going to be perfect and things go wrong, one after another after another, and nothing seems to work. I think we live in a unique moment. This year, we will look at these ten plagues, and I, again, I'm, it's not about the plague itself. It doesn't have to be Dom Tzafadea Corona, because Dom is Corona, Tzafadea is Corona, Kinim is Corona, everything's Corona. The concept of the plagues was it upended the lives of the Egyptians to the extent that ultimately they gave in to the will of God. That's really that's what happened. That was the net result of the ten plagues. And this year we can see that every single country in the world has been affected by an invisible plague what we call in Hebrew a magefa, but it could be one of the Eser Makos. Every single one of us and every single person we know, it's not, it's not about whether we've got sick and hopefully none of us get infected and we all remain healthy throughout, that every single one of us has been affected in, in ways that we were unimaginable even two months ago. And we're going to sit this year at the Seder and we're going to be able to contemplate what it meant for Egypt to go through the ten plagues. It's not going to be a myth or a legend or a story or a song. It's going to be absolutely real. Does that answer her question? Well, I think we've we got people in the South who are going to church regardless of the, uh, the restrictions. Because they're saying, I, I believe my God's going to protect me. My belief in God is more important than the civil ordinance, uh, and and I don't know that we. It, it's appropriate to say this is a, that God wants something from the world. Paroi said, Paroi said, Paroi uh, was very adamant to Moshe Rabbeinu. He wanted the plague yeah. to stop, but as soon as he felt he was safe, he didn't let the Jewish people go. In other words, 
You're not going to tell me what to do. I know better than you. Don't tell me you're Moshe Rabbeinu and you're God's representative. And there are people like that right now. By the way, not just in the deep south. I'm sad to say I'm in the middle of writing an article about people within our own Jewish community who are not behaving correctly. And uh, hopefully that article will be out tomorrow or maybe latest Tuesday, depending on my times and how much time I have to finish it. But we have people even within our own community who are behaving like Paroi, who refuse to accept that there is, there is a power greater than themselves and want to stick inflexibly to something that they feel is the solution to whatever the problem is. You know that uh, Paroi had what uh, is referred to in the Torah as Khartoumei Mitzrayim. And they could replicate the plague or whatever it is that they could do. And he felt, oh, well, God's not so great. I can do it myself. I'm still in charge. In the end, in the end, the world will have to succumb to the reality that they are not in control. And how long these church services will continue, I cannot say. But I do know that in parts of the Jewish world where people have continued to go to shul and to behave as, as if things are normal, the rate of infection is exponentially greater yes. at a, a, and much faster than in any other place in the world. Like for us, thankfully, I just want to say this here. I know, I know that it's something I've discussed with some of you individually. We closed our shul three and a half weeks ago. I'm glad to say that to my knowledge, not one person in our shul has been affected or infected by coronavirus. Not one. And the... The uh, fact one? is, there were other shuls in Los Angeles that, and we had a joint call with all the rabbis. I strongly advocated for all the shuls to close. There were those who refused to do so. And unfortunately, in those shuls, people have both died and are in currently in ICU. Wow. So, you know, it's, it, uh, in the end, everybody comes round. So those shuls are, of course, all closed and they're following the guidelines 100%. But we were ahead of that curve. We closed before California advised us to do so. And there were those in the community who were against it, who said, why are you closing? You're paranoid. It's not the advice we're getting. It's ridiculous. Now everybody says we did the right thing. So I would say this to you, that we need to realize that there are powers which are greater than human knowledge, human intellect, human ability, and human capability. And that um, on Seder night, what a perfect moment for us to, to highlight that through the medium of the ten plagues, so that we truly understand the difference be, of being Paroi and being Moshe Rabbeinu. Let us hope that we're all going to be Moshe Rabbeinu. I think it's a great, a great answer. Yes. Thank you so much, Eva. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we'll we'll leave it here, and hopefully we'll regroup on Tuesday, and I'll continue and do the rest of the seder on Tuesday. And it's really a pleasure welcoming you all here today. Thank you so much, and again, thank you to Carly. Thank you all. Thank Thanks, you. Carly. Thanks, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay.